Yes, today I am joined by host, content provider for Sports Illustrated Now, CBS Sports Radio, Mad Dog Radio, Robin Lundberg. Robin, what's going on, man? Not much, man. How are you doing? I mean, obviously, you know, all things considered is the, the way I got to start everything. All things considered, doing pretty well. Right. <laughs> this is the way to go. It's all like on day-to-day status. <laughs> Yeah, today pretty good, you know, I mean, relatively speaking, uh, I, I go outside for a run, not much else. <laughs> I know, right, I listen to the game a lot, man, it's crazy right now. Oh, uh, well, I think uh, I think basketball's coming back, I mean, I think all the the sports are coming back, but for the the first time in a, um, a while, I feel almost certain that the NBA is coming back. Yeah, things are moving rapidly, but I move rapidly for the comeback. I mean, Adam, Adam Silver said wanted to talk about it next month, but, I mean, things are happening. State's opening back up, and there's no new surges of cases, but state's opening back up. So that's a plus, and yet, like you said, they're ready to move. It's about to come back. I'm hyped, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, the governors today, too, especially, like, California, um, yeah. Gavin Newsom, they've been probably the, the most stringent. So, in a sense, that gives them a green light from a public perception standpoint. You knew from an economic standpoint they wanted to be back, and the players wanted to be back, including I bet you no one wants to be back more than LeBron James right now, you know, after yeah. the last dance and considering yeah. the season he was having, he really yeah. wants to be back. Yeah, Lakers were ahead. <laughs> we'll see him ahead, leading the West right behind um, the Bucks for the um, best record in the, West, in the NBA. So, yeah, he definitely, he definitely wants to finish the season. Yeah, I mean, uh, well uh, – uh, he would want to finish the season regardless, but all those different factors, being in year 17 too. And, again, I think the the, the last dance in a, in a weird way will work as um, great promo for the NBA season. Yeah, Mike came through in a big way, put NBA on his shoulders again. I love the last dance, the last dance. I want to have more episodes. They said it wasn't finished. They rushed it to get it out because of the pand- pandemic, but – I think that's some episodes they can throw together. I mean, I would watch definitely. <laughs> well, yeah, they could do spinoffs or something like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, but definitely, I mean, look, it was a confluence of factors, right? It, it would have been a big deal regardless because it's Michael Jordan and, and the Bulls. But, but when you yeah. factor in that sports were stopped, that everybody was trapped inside, and it, it gave everybody something to watch, something to talk about. Um, yeah, like you said, Mike, uh, Air Jordan flew in to save the day. Yes, he did. Um, what's your biggest takeaway from the last dance? I mean, mine is so it shows some young people who didn't know Mike's game, his mentality. He he gained a lot of people's respect that really didn't pay me any mind besides buying sneaks all the time. I mean Mike's Mike's will to win was crazy and he pushed everybody. It was obvious with the version they showed on ESPN where he was cussing out everybody, taking a shot <laughs> at the gym and everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, look, that was the purpose of this, I believe, right? Like, I, I think in, in many ways the purpose of it was to um, send a reminder of Michael Jordan's greatness, particularly maybe for a generation that hadn't experienced it. Right. With that said, and, and I say this as someone who loved the documentary. I thought it was immensely entertaining. Other than episode, uh, episode eight, but uh, I, I found it immensely entertaining. But it essentially was Michael Jordan propaganda. It, it was the, the Michael Jordan of propaganda, where he had control, editorial control over what was out there. He had control of the footage. So he, he made himself look 
tremendous. It's not hard to do that. I mean, all you got to do is show the highlights, right? I mean, game six yeah. happened, no matter what music package you put uh, uh, to it. Uh, the 60-plus right. point game against Boston <laughs> happened, no matter what music you, you put to it. So right. that was one takeaway. The other is, I think it was also a reminder of the, the uh, infrastructure and talent of those Bulls teams, you know? Oh, yeah, yes. Phil Jackson has every single Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant ring, right? Uh, right. Scotty Pippen was more than a sidekick. He was one of the five best players in the NBA. Dennis Rodman was a unique yeah. personality. I mean, the, the guy was a, a really good player and joined the NWO in the midst of the NBA Finals. So I, I think right. uh, <laughs> all, the, all that stuff um, was another takeaway. Yeah, Dennis Rodman was one, one of a kind, bro. He was a bigger vacation. He was wrestling in the middle of the final. That's crazy. But he gave us all on the floor. That's all he wanted. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had a motor. Like, and, and that's another thing. Michael Jordan had the two best perimeter defenders in the league on his team, right? <laughs> Which is helpful. Crazy. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. What else, what, what else was the biggest takeaway from the last dance? I mean, uh, that, that, the, other, the only negative I would say is um, I thought Jerry Krause was treated a little unfairly. Uh, given that, I mean, one, he's dead and, and can't respond, right? And right. two, you know, it, it, it was another bit of the insight into the Jordan personality where he takes everything as a slight, right? Like no matter how little, yeah. no matter how slight it is, he takes it as a slight. Um, and, and he uses that to, to manufacture a chip on his shoulder um, to create, uh, you know, a, a desire for, for a certain outcome. So I understand, like, the, the Krauss breaking up the bulls and, and it, and all that rubbed Jordan the wrong way, and in a in a way was also a um, a statement that was saying you're not going to win again, you can't win again. So I'm sure Michael Jordan took that personally. At the same time, they they sort of made him the villain of the whole thing, and the yeah. guy was the GM during both of those runs, right? I mean, right. every every right. player I just mentioned, Pippen and Rodman and Coach and you know right. all, all on and on down the line are are there because of him. He built those teams, so. To make it out like he did some horrible job is wrong. Maybe he ended it prematurely. Maybe there was friction, but you can't say the guy didn't do a heck of a job. Yeah, when the first repeat, Paxton was key. The second repeat, Steve Kerr was key. Like you said, he he did. He was a mastermind behind those moves. He wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been there beside Mike if he didn't put them if he didn't put him there. So yeah, he does deserve he does deserve credit. He definitely does. This documentary also showed that the Pistons and Pacers were the team that gave Mike the most problems. It was physical. <laughs> we all know the bad boys, the bad boy Pistons with the Jordan rules, and the Pacers were just a problem overall. I mean, they they were physical. They had the right pieces, and they almost took the Bulls out. But we all know. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the, well, the Pistons got him right uh, three out of four times um, until yeah. he finally got he got Scotty Pippen. Um, obviously, he got a little bit more season. Phil Jackson, all that stuff. Every now and yeah. again, there's um, those exception that prove the rule themes in the NBA. Um, you know, the Pacers were close to that. They were they were almost that if they had won a championship. But really, the the, the examples I think mostly are are the Pistons, both then and in the uh, early 2000s. Yeah, those Pistons teams where they they didn't necessarily have superstars, you know, multiple, but they had top-level players and a bunch of really, really good players. Um, you know, for that, that latter Pistons team, you had a, a starting five that all could make an all-star case. 
even if none of them were like top of the league level. Uh, the the first Pistons incarnation, you had Isaiah and and Dumars. You know, I, obviously Isaiah was one of the top players in the league. Dumars, an All Star level player, but a, a deep roster beyond that. Pacers fit that bill. The Mavericks of 2011 fit that bill with one superstar and a bunch of really good players at at the time. So uh, you know, those are the kind of teams that um. LeBron was playing, you know, at times, the, the, the other Pacers team uh, with Roy, Roy Hibbert and, and company, Paul George, um, the, the Bulls with Derrick Rose and, and Jimmy Butler, you know, um, so the, the, uh, you, you get those teams throughout history, but I think the reason they, uh, those were the, the toughest ones for Jordan in particular is, right. as you mentioned, they, they, they could really defend well, um, and, and it, it was... The, the prerogative of them to, to rough them up a little bit and, and to, to keep the, the game tight. So the Bulls' strength was also, in a way, we think of Jordan scoring, but in a sense the Bulls' yeah. strength was also their defense. So they had a chance, uh, they, they had a team that could go head-to-head to, with them that way. Right. What's your, what's your own way in on it, um, the greatest all-time debate? I mean, between LeBron and um, Michael. I think it's the way East one had their era because – I mean, they both, LeBron is still playing, but he's, he's a person, he surpassed Michael in some areas because he's played more he's played more games than Mike, so of course that's going to happen. But Mike, Mike's impact on the game can't be denied. Like, he he pushed NBA to another level because of his greatness. Like, he pushed him to overseas. Like, he made NBA like a big-ass entity because of how great he was. <laughs> so, and a lot of NBA players can't do that. LeBron has done that himself also. But... I think I think Michael is like the first, like first. He's a one on one. That's my take on that. Like you can't replace him, and you can't replace LeBron. Yeah, I mean, I, I think either answer is is correct, right? Like I'm not going to tell you you're wrong with either answer. I mean, I, I think uh, not even not the content of the Last Dance because I knew the content of the Last Dance. Yeah. So because right. because it's edited and, and put to music, like I said before. That doesn't change my opinion. Uh, right. I, I already knew what happened. But the fact that it still resonates to, to, today, you know, that he still resonates as this larger-than-life figure, almost a real-life yeah. superhero, and, and a right. brand. And, and we're talking about 1998, which is 2020 now. Over 20 years, that generally doesn't happen. With that right. said, I believe LeBron James is the best basketball player who ever lived. Uh, I, I believe... Um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, you have to take in circumstance, right? If people go to the finals argument, but is losing before the finals better than yeah, losing in, in the too. finals? Uh, you know, it is also, you just look. Remember when Jordan went to play baseball? The yeah. Bulls still won 55 games. Yeah, they went seven, yeah, they went seven games with six in the next round. We're, we're you know, a, a, a couple of bounces away from, from maybe going to the Eastern Conference Finals. When LeBron left Cleveland the first time, they had won 61 games, I believe, the year prior. And the next year they won 19. Next year they won 19. (laughs) Uh, Then he went to Miami. Miami goes to four straight finals. Obviously, we know who he teamed up with there. He leaves Miami. Their fall off isn't quite as severe because they have good infrastructure, but they did miss the playoffs the next year. He goes back to Cleveland. They go to four straight finals. Uh, The last year that he's there, they go to the finals without Kyrie Irving. He was already gone. Uh, you know, and with, with a, a team of, no disrespect to those guys, but role players. And then he leaves Cleveland again. They go from the finals in a 50-win team to winning 19 again the next season. 
He goes to Los Angeles. He got hurt that first year, but when he got hurt, they were fourth yeah. in the West. Uh, and then this year, his first healthy season there in, in the conference that supposedly was too tough right. for him, he's number one. So Le- LeBron, in NBA history, there's been six teams that have gone to four straight finals. LeBron was on two of them. He went to eight straight by himself. The only team that ever went to eight straight or more was the Boston Celtics of the 60s. And at that point in time, there were eight to 12 teams in the entire league. So, I mean, they're 1A and 1B. We'll we'll be arguing this forever until our kids kids find somebody to throw in the argument. But uh, LeBron James, to me, is a one-man dynasty. But, yeah, this debate has been going going a long way before the um, the final final dance documentary came out. But... It's just some people have new fuel to the fire. That's all that's added. I didn't have it before. But, yeah, it's that, like you said, this debate can go on and on forever, and it's going to. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think it's definitely the greatest of all time sports debate, or at least it's become it. And to be honest, if anybody was saying they're sick of it, like it's, the, it's part of what wound up getting us through this uh, quarantine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, I, I work in the sports industry, right? Like I'm trying right. to come up with stuff every day. The last dance was a content fountain, and if we're keeping it a buck, you know, a lot of that was Michael Jordan and the spinoff stuff and the coverage of those teams. Yeah. But a big chunk of it was just, you know, reactivating the LeBron-Jordan argument. Yes, it was. So you began your career as an intern at Around the Horn. Tell us about that. That's a great show. So you got to meet um, Woody Page, the great Woody Page. He's been on here a couple of times. I love talking to Woody <laughs> Yeah, yeah I did. Um, so I went to University of Maryland, and right. I was uh, I worked at the student radio station there, and worked my way up the ladder um, right. at the student radio station, which might have been the intern internship at Around the Horn. Yeah. So when I was there, uh, I don't know what it's like now, but it was Around the Horn in one room, P- uh, a door, and PTI, PTI. in the, in the other room. Um, and I was there, you know, working with uh, you know Around the Horn had just started. Max right. Kellerman's still a good friend of mine. He was the okay. host of the show. Um, I was there when Tony Reale did his first show because uh, okay. Max had a, a, a doctor's thing or whatever. I don't remember the reason, but, you know, Tony had to right. step in. Uh, right. You know, uh, so, yeah, that was the, the springboard for my career. There's been a lot of ups and downs. It's not exactly like a, you know, right. straight trajectory, but that was right. uh, a, good, a good start and I think um, made me a couple of connections. But uh, most importantly, I think it, it – allowed me to think like a programmer, you know, not just okay. like, you know, now I obviously I, I do a little bit of everything and, and I have crossed over to the, as they would call it in the business, the talent side of things. I always found that word obnoxious. But okay. the um, at that point in time, because you're putting together a show, what are the topics? You know, like yeah. that, that sort of thinking uh, yes. was, was, was a, a good springboard for me. Yes. Great experience. Great places to get experience from. Sure. So I met ESPN. Um, because of your first on the Mike and Mike show in Sports Nation, how did that help your career also? Well, I mean, I, I just I wouldn't say Sports Nation did anything for my career. I was on it a couple times, you know. Right. Mike and Mike, I got to host. Uh, yeah, I, Mike and Mike, I got to host a couple times, but it didn't, you know, necessarily jumpstart my career. I mean, it's okay. it's a cool thing. I, I I think my time at ESPN, you know. Um, at the beginning, was spent in the background, and then crossed over to the radio side. But really, what it was right. was reps and reps and reps and reps and reps. And and I did so yeah. much radio. I did so much radio over there that I could do 
you know, you could tell me I had to do a four-hour radio show right now um, with no prep, no context, and, and I'd feel totally comfortable. So, you know, it's like uh, being able to parallel park a big car. You know, yeah. I feel like I, I could do that uh, at any given time because of the reps I got at ESPN. And then when, uh, you know, also just the brand power. You know, when you're at ESPN, it legitimizes yeah. you. Um, yeah. to a certain extent for whatever you, you might do next. But those are, I think, were my two biggest, well, three biggest things I got from ESPN. Like I said, thinking like a programmer, uh, the reps uh, on the radio, and, and the brand association that comes with ESPN. Yes, I totally agree with you about the reps because when I first started, I, w- I would be so hard on myself when I feel like, you know, you, how you do a show, you go back and listen to it. I could have did this better, could have did this better. I learned to stop beating myself up and just get more reps in, and I, as, I, as, I, as time went on, I got better. So that's the biggest thing I took. I take away from getting reps. What advice would you give someone to think about getting into hosting? Um, you know, you got to find your voice. Um, you got to find your voice. What makes you unique? Why? Why? You know, are people going to listen to you and come to you? Um, but also, you know, you got to be prepared for this. Uh, it isn't, you know. It isn't a traditional job, right? Like, uh, we're in the Wild West right now when it comes to the media industry. Who knows what it'll look like a year from now? Who knows what it'll look like 10 years from now? Who knows what it'll look like tomorrow? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, so, so you've got to be prepared for that. Like, you've got you to gotta, um, uh, have a chin. So I think you've you got to have a voice, and right below that, you've got to have a chin. Right. Yeah, as you just said, that's the coronavirus. I showed us that. you got to be prepared and be able to adapt at the moment's notice. Because as you know, a lot of people have shifted to on social media because all the studios basically shut down. I mean, so much harder to slowly open back up. But this, this, sets, some, this, this sets some people aside from people really want it and people that say they want it. So the people that push through this, you can tell they really want what they, they have a passion for what they do. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's also, you know, it's a, um, it's also shows you the technology nowadays, too, though. I mean, a lot of these, I, again, right. when I say the, the business, there's just so many different questions, but, but uh, I think, and this goes beyond sports, I, I think um, people have now seen how remote working can be convenient and, and just as efficient, um, right. depending on what you're doing. And then, from the sports industry side of things, I mean, look, this was a potentially cataclysmic event. Um, uh, a lot of people lost their lives, of course. Uh, yeah. A lot of people yeah. lost their jobs. And if sports doesn't come back soon, and now it looks like it will, so that's, that's a huge plus, there were, yeah. you know, who knows how many entities would, would survive it. Like, in, in a world where there's no football season. I, I don't know how many of these places, including where I work, you know, don't go out of business, right? Like, so, <laughs> right. Um, you know, so that that's the good news about sports returning for anybody who, who's in the, the, the sports media for sure. But yeah. another, you know, reason why I say, it, it, you know, job security is not what you get into it for. Um, right. You get in, and, and, and I've experienced, and I say this all honestly because I've experienced the highs, I've experienced the lows. And, and when you're doing the job, and you're in a spot, and you feel comfortable, I mean, yeah, it's a great, you know, it's a great way to, to earn a living. <laughs> Who could argue that? You just got to be prepared for, for some of the pitfalls um, as well. Yeah, that's good advice. Right, definitely good advice. 
before the hiatus, there was like a two-man MVP race, LeBron and Giannis. <laughs> it was an MVP pick before um, the hiatus happened. I mean, I, I, I think if you heard my LeBron best player ever argument, you, you kind of know it. To me, LeBron's always the MVP. I think he's mean, the I, I believe he. I believe he is because he's more important than Giannis. Honestly, yeah. to me, because well, I mean, Giannis is—he's <laughs> awesome. But he's awesome. But you like—I think anybody who has watched LeBron's career and then thinks there's a player that provides more value to a team than right. he does when he's playing at his best or near his best is lying to themselves. Very true. Very true. <laughs> Even if, he, even if he provides more on the floor and all. Crazy. What was the rookie of the year pick? It's got to be John Moran now. John Moran. I mean, I mean, yeah, Zion just didn't have enough time. Very true. Uh, Robin, thank you for joining me, man. Thanks a lot for your time. You got it. No worries, man. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. All right. Take it easy. All right. Yes, that was Robin Lundberg, host content provider for Sports Illustrated, CBS Sports Radio, and Mad Dog Radio. I'll see you soon.